0: is the Next Trip Podcast with Aviation Insiders Doug and Drew. Together, with more than 40 years of industry experience, they are creating a network for other app geeks and travel enthusiasts to obsess about all things aviation. All thoughts and opinions are their own.
1: G'day and welcome to Boarding Pass 135, operating on June 27th, 2022. This is Doug, and I'm here with my fellow industry insider, Drew. We're two app geeks creating a network for airline, airplane, airport, and travel enthusiasts to obsess about all things aviation Drew, we have quite a few topics to cover this week, so we can skip my pilot memoirs, especially since I just did a quick two day out and back to Newark or uh, <coughs> cough Elizabeth, uh, New Jersey, as we call it. And yes, the triple is still amazing. I'm, I'm not going to not talk about or I'm I'm not going to talk about it not because I don't like it, but we have other things to get to, including your Piper patterns. How are those coming along? And was work as crazy as what the media is reporting and what Newark seemed to be the other day when I was there. I can tell you, well, I I can tell you that both of my flights were completely full and we had to wait Uh for a gate for an hour or over an hour at Newark the other day.
0: I'll talk about the Piper patterns in a second. So you got a little little bit of the crazy when I'm talking about crazy. It's anyone who's been to an airport these days knows what crazy is Mm -hmm. (laughs) and it is crazy everywhere. But you're not getting off that easily, easily off your basically your second trip. Let me just lay it out. We can keep it short. Okay. So it, this was what you call an efficient trip. You went from SFO. I know you hate that, so I'm just going to say it more. SFO, SFO to uh, New York and back with uh, a short layover, layover and back. And I think you flew, you flew a triple seven two hundred over and a triple seven three hundred back. Mm-hmm. Few questions for you on your first leg. You had a four million miler. Oh, that's you right. Meet that I did.
1: I, I, you're right. That we can talk about that. I forgot about that. Normally, and I think, what, probably four months ago when I was on the Guppy, I had a million miler and we talked about it, just how cool it was because our our pilot app that we look at before we fly that has all the info about the flight has a tab that says notable customers. And if we have a million miler, we, we get a little notification saying what seat they're in and we're, we're supposed to make a comment and go shake their hand. The captain and I got an email from Flight Ops the night before saying we have a four million miler on our flight the next day so they were
0: is dale is your dad a one million miler he just passed two two wow
1: yeah and and he probably won't he probably won't ever get to three just based on the the fact that he's retiring soon i -hmm. I hope he gets to three i I hope he lives Mm -hmm. long enough to get to three i'm not saying because of age I'm, i'm just saying he probably won't won't reach three we got an email from flight ops explaining you have a passenger tomorrow who's passing 4 million miles. I had a list of things that are suggested that we're supposed to do for them. One of them is our airline just introduced coins. We, we call them challenge coins. It's I had
0: never it's, seen it's, that. It's, it's a crazy. military
1: thing, actually. I have dozens of coins from the military. Right.
0: We get it from the police, the police office at the yeah, airport. And, and the and fire, little f-
1: fire department and other things like that. Yeah, it's it's a pretty cool thing that we do. And, and we just started doing it like two months ago where we go to flight ops and we pick up a coin and we're supposed to present it to the passenger. Something else that they suggested, and they said that the passengers love this, is print out a map of our flight. Because on our, our paperwork mm, that yeah. we get, that's, we all, frame that. that's all digital, there is an actual map of the route of flight. It's, it's a single page. So I printed it out in flight ops and I took it, told the captain, hey, you know, the email said we should sign it, we both did. The captain, while I was pre-flighting, went around the airplane, got every single one of the nine flight attendants to sign it as well. Oh, wow. Both the captain and I signed it, all the flight attendants. And then right before we pushed back, the captain and I went back. He, he was sitting in business class with his wife, and we went back and congratulated him, gave him the coin. He put the coin in his bag and was holding the map and looked like he was about to cry. Aww. It was this simple <laughs> this simple map of our, our route of flight with the flight yeah. number, the, the date, the route, and everything. And that's I asked, this is really cool. I asked him if, if he knew how many miles he needed to get to 4 million. And his wife was like, oh, yeah, he'll tell you. And he said oh. seven, 75. And I, I told him that's probably going to be right around where we level off, taking mm. off out of San Francisco. So normally, as, as we leave an area, we put in different navigational aids as we go. I I kept San Francisco in so that we could see the distance that we were flying as it ticked away. And I was was the one who was flying at that time. And the captain, when we hit 75, I said, there it is. So the captain made an announcement to the back (laughs) saying, you know, Mr. I I can't remember his name. We just passed 75 miles from San Francisco for everyone else on the airplane, what this means. And he went on to explain it. It was, yeah, it was really cool.
0: That's great. You know, these people... They, they probably know more about our mileage program than we do. Oh, absolutely. They they might. They absolutely do. do.
1: This
0: guy, he's, he's paying our salaries. You know, when it comes down to it, it's not just about you being nice to them. It's literally about him supporting our families, our mortgages, our pet care. (laughs) Yeah. That is so cool for you to see to be able to fly that person. And as you know, I love that million. stuff. You know that you I'm, know, I'm, I'm a I'm rom- up, right?
1: I, I'm romantic for that. I, I love that kind of stuff. And to have a well, 4 million miler, I, we don't have that many at the airline. Most. I've never even don't. heard of that. No. And, and the fact that I was able to, to get this was really pretty special.
0: Well, and for the listeners. So before this flight, so Doug knew, cause you got an email the night before Doug is like getting all this swag for this person. So, you know, the coin, and I think there was a card mm-hmm. and, something else so he was showered with uh airline swag and you know most people not you know when they reach four million miles they really thrive on it they love flying so the fact that you went and talked to them and gave them all that stuff i'm sure it's well appreciated absolutely yeah no, the, that's great.
1: The only other thing that I want to say about my trip is I aborted a trip to Starbucks in Newark the next morning because of the line. Uh-huh. You, you know the Starbucks like when you go through security the <laughs> yeah. one just to the left. The uh-huh. line was almost around the corner to the high sea gates. I walked past it and said, "Nope. Uh, I'll just well, get coffee on the airplane." On the airplane? I mean, yeah, we have Brewcote. That's how that's how busy the flights are right now.
0: Well, okay. So one more question. So you're flying into one of the busiest, well, not one of the busiest, probably the busiest airspace in the world into Newark. Mm-hmm. And you were getting in there mid, yeah, you were getting, I was in, there getting in there at the, the, time the time,
1: the European bank and I'm, so I'm on a wide it, body. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. So was it incredibly difficult to navigate through that to get to Newark or how was
1: it? It was, it was busy. We were getting a lot of vectors. We We have these, we've talked about them, the stars, the standard arrivals that everyone gets filtered in. But I, I we need to look this up. I, I read it somewhere. Newark is the busiest single arrival or single arrival runway and single departure runway. We we landed mm-hmm. on the fours. Four left yeah. was the departure. Four right was the arrival. I think I read somewhere that it's the busiest single departure runway and single <laughs> arrival runway what? in the world. He, people well, yeah. talk about people talk about Heathrow. They depart and arrive on both runways at Heathrow. On both runways. Newark, you only arrive on the outside runway and only take off on the inside. Every once in a while, you use the cross runway most of the time. And I'll have to look up the stat, but I'm pretty sure it is the busiest in the world for using just a single runway.
0: Right. So if anyone is wondering why there's so many ATC delays in Newark... There's your answer. Let me just paint a picture for you, which is my life. And this is why we get the, we call them friendly visitors all the time. <laughs> they can't yeah. get into New York. That's our euphemism for it. But three runways, right? I, I believe it's three runways. It is three. Newark. Okay. Mm-hmm. They have runway four left and four right, which are north-south runways. New York will use four left for departures. Correct. And they'll use four right for arrivals. There is a third runway, runway 1129 Runway one one, two, nine. Mm-hmm. I keep saying twenty nine eleven. That's that's not an av that's not a pilot you're race learning. We're I'm we're gonna talk
1: about that. You're learning. It's one one and two, nine. One, it's one, cross one, two nine. Yeah.
0: So those are the east west runways, east west runway. That is rarely used because the winds have to be just right. And when you're using that runway, it messes up the traffic patterns because now you have one that's going perpendicular with all these. So you have one of the busiest airports in the world with one runway for departures. And one runway for arrivals. Yeah. You're operating one of the busiest airports in the world with basically one usable runway for arrivals. Correct. It is ridiculous. And you add a little bit of weather, and there goes, you know, there goes your on time performance. Yeah, it
1: was it was pretty sporty crosswinds too on landing. And then because it was the European departure bank and we're a wide body and we can't just use any gate, we sat in in on, on the taxiway and we had to move a couple times for almost an hour. Waiting for a gate to open up.
0: Well, they want they wanted you to make this sharp turn, and you were like, you said your version of, "Dude, we're a 777. Yeah. The, Not the, ramp, same-
1: we, we ramp wanted us to make a 180 degree turn, and we were a little bit uncomfortable about doing that, so we turned wide onto a different taxiway. And Ramp is yelling at us, "No, I told you to turn, flip right back around." <laughs> and I, I had been talking with this guy for an hour and was getting frustrated, and I finally, sadly, and I apologized to him afterwards, but I snapped and I was like. No, we are a huge airplane. We can't just flip a <laughs> one eight, an immediate 180 and head back the other direction.
0: You know, that person should have come back at you and be like, no, dude, whatever. On the last episode, I, I heard you say you could turn on a dime, <laughs> yeah. which is what you said about the triple seven.
1: All right, anything else about your No, trip? I, I want to hear about yours, your Piper patterns. Because, uh, listen, <laughs> listeners, I have not heard anything. Drew texted me an hour ago and said his flight today was awesome. I said, save it. I want to hear about it real time.
0: I'm going to say it's awesome. Probably for not the reason that you or the listeners think it's awesome. I think it I thought it was awesome because it's it's getting to be regular and things are coming to me like they're second nature. You're feeling comfortable. I'm feeling comfortable and something that I didn't talk about. You know, I was concerned about air sickness when I was going into pilot training because mm-hmm. I had that as a kid. I don't even think about it. And you were exactly right, Doug, because in the beginning, I was a little dizzy sometimes, and there was one flight where we landed, and I think I was like 15 minutes away from being, from vomiting, <laughs> from having projectile vomiting all over of <laughs> Warrior, taking that plane out of service, but I held it together. Since that, every day, I don't even think about it. Now it's like, it's literally like being in my car, almost. Not quite, because I'm not 100% comfortable with the instruments and stuff, so... That's why it was awesome. We did pattern landings today. We probably did 10. Mm-hmm. And I was telling Terry, it's like, yeah, you know, I think I'm going to get this soon. And he said, no, you can expect to have possibly 80 landings before I can tell you that you're good. So my goal is to beat that. <laughs> <laughs> but I wanted to talk to you. So our patterns, our patterns are very tight. So we take off 75 knots. We turn, we climb to 1,000. That's our uh, crosswind. Then we turn downwind Mm -hmm. along the runway. And then we are at a thousand feet and that's our altitude that, you know, our maximum altitude for the pattern. We slow down to uh, 80 knots and then 75 knots when we turn base and then 70 knots when we turn final. And during that time, we're putting down one notch of flaps each time to help slow it down. A lot of work. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And this is a tiny little plane you know, with just me and you know, the, but you were saying, imagine doing that in a KC-10 at 180 miles per hour or 180 knots. Can yeah. you quickly tell us about what pattern work is like on a KC-10? We
1: we do about the same distance as you do. We we pull closed, which is what we call it, meaning as soon as we rotate and we hit 400 feet, we request closed. We climb up to 1500. You do more box patterns. We call it when you when you go on crosswind. Do you roll out? roll wings level and extend crosswind? Cross, yes. We yeah. have wings level for just a little bit. Okay. We don't even go wings level. We, we just keep a constant 30 degree bank turn until we're about two miles offset from the field. And at that point we usually level off at 1500 feet in the turn. Mm-hmm. We roll okay. wings level, adjust for wind. So if the wind is, is blowing left to right or right to left, we, we might adjust a little bit just to keep that two mile offset from the runway. And then when we get 45 degrees from the, the approach end of mm-hmm. the runway. When basically, you're looking back, should be 45 degrees, just like us. 45 off my shoulder. I yeah. bring bring the power back to about 60 percent. Drop the nose. 700 feet per minute. Rate decent. And then it's a constant 30 degree turn around a final, and we roll out on about a two mile final.
0: So the only difference, or the big difference that I'm hearing or not hearing, is um, in my plane we don't have to really pitch down because once I pull the power.
1: Because it starts yeah because you, you use power for pitch which we we don't know
0: yeah so i was telling terry that today and yeah. he was like he was almost like uh upset about that because i was like <laughs> hey terry you know we're using power for pitch and i was talking to my friend doug and he was saying well not necessarily mm-hmm. and then he went off it's like well you know you're talking about this different context but you know in general if you reduce the power you are going to Descend, or if you increase it, I'm not going to try and get him upset. But I was yeah. just saying, <laughs> it's not always power for altitude.
1: Yeah, it's yeah. It, uh, to me pattern work is a blast. I, I love oh, it. I love and it. usually the the end of our flights, like our our training flights, when I was teaching at the schoolhouse, were five to six hours. We would have probably three or four hours of refueling work, both us and then receivers. And our last two, sometimes three hours of the flight is just in the pattern, and a lot of times unlike you, where it's just the two of you in the seat, and you can't get up and move. I might be on a flight as an instructor where I have four people who need to get landings. We'll do a couple with one person, and then we'll go out to the radar pattern, meaning we, a wider pattern where ATC is actually vectoring us. I'll get that student out, get the next one in, and then boom, we do three or four with that student, and then get the... Hit him or her out, get the next one in, and it's just a constant shuffle.
0: Yeah, it 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 was really fun. I'm still kind of reeling from it. You know, yeah. I'm still giddy
1: from it because I want to go back and you're do gonna it be day. on a, you're gonna be on <laughs> a high for a couple of days, and yeah. then it'll wear off. You'll study, and then you'll be right back at it next week. Yeah, it'll be something new next week. Well, we try not to dwell on previous topics too much because we don't want to lose listeners. That said, Drew, in about two minutes or less, let's do a quick go around on our topic from a couple of weeks ago about the airplane design and passenger comfort. You and I both disagreed about what Boeing and Airbus, for that matter, should do while designing their next airplane. Don't worry, listeners, we're not going to get back into our 222 seating configuration debate.
0: All right. Yes, we'll spare our differing opinions this time, but I can't promise it won't come up again, Doug. That said, some people, including you, I believe, argued that most passengers don't generally book on the experience. Our buddy Greg wanted to know what drives people to book the way that they do, so he polled his followers. This was on an unscientific polling, so take it with a grain of salt, but I'd argue that Greg's results are probably more accurate than ours because he has a better mix of followers than we do, I e not just a bunch of loud app geeks. <laughs> what were his results, Doug? <laughs>
1: yeah, I added that <laughs> loud app geeks because opinionated. Yeah, geeks. All, all of our followers are are that, and we say that with love. You guys are yeah, all we are. loud. We, av no, geeks. we like we yeah, love it that they're yeah, loud. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> Greg asked the question: When flying for leisure, how do you decide what ticket to purchase? He had ticket price, airline, passenger experience, and schedule as the four options. Ticket price won overwhelmingly at sixty seven percent choice of airline was 19% in second place. And then a third place tie for the last two at 7% was the passenger experience and schedule. That's ultimately what I thought.
0: No, I know that's, this, that's a simple way of looking at it. And even for us, we are looking at the price. So if someone's offering us to get us from point A to point B for 100 and everyone else is 300, of course. Yeah. But I, I would say a better pull would be all things being equal. What are you looking for? And let's answer that question ourselves. I'm looking for passen- Pax X passenger yeah. experience. So if it's the same price, the airline with a better passenger experience is going to win. As far as schedule, yeah, yeah, I was I mean, about to say, to say, can be- I
1: can I jump in here real yeah, quickly please. on our group text? I, I made the comment about someone. Someone said, "Well, two 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 could be the next quote unquote narrow body experience," and I I made the comment, "Well." Bombardier and now Airbus went two three on the A220 that mm-hmm. that they said that is actually what we should do for narrow bodies not two 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 or wider three three seats mm, okay the two three yeah. is is kind of the, the next step and you said yeah absolutely I would fly on an A220 one hundred percent of the time and I then I made the comment I said then I never want to see you fly on another seven thirty seven. I never because you said I don't even care about schedule or price. All oh, I want yeah. to fly on is an A220. So I made the comment, okay, next right. time you fly on a 737 because that's the flight that you can do schedule wise. I'm going right. to point that out and say, hey, <laughs> Drew is on a 737 right. because he chose it for <laughs> schedule or because he chose it for price. And, and that's what I was getting at was that right. we 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 are loud av geeks and we speak mm-hmm. our mind and we say, yeah, I'm only flying on the best passenger experience <laughs> until that $59 ticket on a 737 shows up or that schedule, that 6am flight that we really need to get on shows up. And then we throw all of our loud geek sayings out the window and and we end up on that flight.
0: Yeah, but you know, even Spirit, you know, and I, and I speak about Spirit lovingly because they keep the prices low and that keeps everyone on their toes. It keeps our airline more competitive, right? And it it causes fares to be reasonable for everyone. Even Spirit, they bought A320s with 18-inch seats, whereas some traditional carriers are buying
1: 737s with narrower seats. But did Spirit buy A320s because of the experience or did they buy it because of economics because they got a good deal from Airbus? That that's something that factors in too. But,
0: yeah, it's probably because of economics. They got a really good deal. Mm-hmm. Yeah, good point. Now, I want to come back to our 222 <laughs> discussion because if the A220 is one of the newer aer- airplane designs, You know, And let's go back, 737, 17-inch seats. Here comes the A320 with 18-inch seats. Now we have the A220 with 19-inch seats. So you see the progression. So the next plane, if we look at it linear like that, would have 20-inch seats, which would be awesome. Or I would say just keep it at 18 inches, which people find acceptable and have a second aisle. Mm -hmm. Without going into that whole Mm -hmm. diatribe of (laughs) pluses and minuses. I'm just thinking we are going to do a little segment in a little bit about Air India looking for 300 new aircraft. Mm -hmm. Air India has deep pockets now because they're owned by the Tata Group, which is a $13 billion company. So if Boeing had a product to say, hey, this has a little bit more weight, but you, Air India, are going to be able to offer the best narrow body product in the sky, they would buy it. I yeah. guarantee you they would buy it.
1: Guarantee they would. But the problem is that's six to ten, seven to ten years away. In and we'll, we'll get to this. Right. But Air India is looking for something now. And that's where we could talk about this for hours, that Boeing really messed up by not launching something years ago.
0: Well, no, Doug, I'm saying it's a hypothetical. If Boeing had that product oh, absolutely. available now, yeah,
1: absolutely. even though it
0: weighs a little bit more, some of these airlines like Singapore and some airlines that, are going, that want to stand out against their peers mm-hmm. not against scoot or tiger or whatever air asia x stand out versus cathay pacific british airways this is something i could see them doing yeah, too, should, yeah. should we just That's jump, why they bought
1: the should we just jump right into the news and that way we can get to this air india because we have quite yeah. a few big topics to talk about this week let's go around the world and see what's happening drew kick us off with the first one we're going to keep this short we're just going to present the facts with minimal de- debate because it's an ever-changing saga.
0: Surprise, surprise, JetBlue and Spirit are back in the news, though I don't think they've actually left the news in the last few months, at least not on our podcast. (laughs) (laughs) JetBlue has increased their offer to buy Spirit by $2 a share and 50 cents, higher than their initial offer. This development comes after last week's news that Spirit is now open to negotiating with JetBlue in addition to exploring the merger with Frontier. A decision by Spirit's board is expected Later this week. So when this airs, it's the twenty-seventh. So June 30th, I think, was the 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 date. Mm -hmm. JetBlue CEO says that the carrier is more confident in the deal after reviewing Spirit's books and holding discussions with Spirit's management team. He also said that the revised offer came at the request of Spirit's board of directors. That's interesting, Doug. So that means they're they're engaged now. Very engaged. yeah, Yeah. They're in the game. JetBlue also increased possible divestitures in order to gain regulatory approval. Should Spirit decide to agree to the takeover bid by divestitures, I'm assuming they're they're meaning slots at Kennedy or Gates in Boston or whatever, you know, that they could give up.
1: Yeah. And I, I don't know if the Northeast alliance with American was discussed. I didn't see it in the news at all, but we've both mentioned, we don't know how that would stand if they go forward. We don't even, we don't have to debate this because I have a feeling next week we'll talk about what spirit actually decided we just wanted to present the facts so the listeners weren't left in the dark or left wondering if we were going to talk about it i think this is actually a big development that swings the needle in JetBlue's direction personally
0: yeah, so that's there goes our uh, our hypothesis that th- this was all employed yeah. to the last one. We'll uh, yeah. see how
1: it plays out. I, I I'll take the hit on that. I'll say I was I was totally off base on that one. <laughs> Let's move on because we right, I guarantee we're going to talk about this again next week. As we mentioned in the opening, airlines are once again struggling to keep up with demand. The next topic is a mix of several stories from around the world relating to this very issue. We'll cover a few quick bullet points and then try to unpack everything. U.S. Transportation Secretary Pete Buttigieg met remotely with airlines, met remotely. How frustrating is that? Airline CEOs, Drew. Yeah, come on, man. You're the DOT. Bring them in. Fly (laughs) someplace. Bring them in. Sit down with coffee. Sit down with drinks. Talk about it. Anyways, he met with airline CEOs and demanded that they do better after nearly 3,000 flights were canceled over the Memorial Day weekend Uh in late May. He even went so far as to say that the government could, quote, compel airlines to hire more workers or, quote, take enforcement action against airlines the meeting was a mere hour trying
0: i can i gotta stop you right there no you let's know how hard we're trying let's come back to that we're just
1: hired seven people that i'm training <laughs> let's come back to that i, I, I want to unpack sorry that. a little rant the meeting was a mere hours before the busiest travel day of 2022 so far the friday heading into the combined father's day and juneteenth holiday weekend in the u.s this meeting happened on thursday friday was the busiest day That weekend following the meeting, airlines canceled more than 5,000 flights over the (laughs) holidays, with delays and cancellations stretching well beyond the weekend. It's still happening today, in fact. In the UK, on the other side of the pond, thousands of passengers face canceled flights as tens of thousands of bags piled up at Heathrow, due mainly to airport staffing issues. And anyone who hasn't seen those photos, look them up. They're incredible. Of these Literally tens of thousands oh, of Oh yeah. sitting. I thought it was a cartoon or I something. I thought it was too, or a joke or something. After a meltdown in Amsterdam earlier this month, Dutch officials set a cap this week on the number of passengers that could transit the airport the entire summer, forcing airlines to cancel hundreds of planned flights going forward. Transatlantic travels at 85% of 2019 numbers, with some airlines even higher. United said it plans to fly 25% more seats to Europe than it did in 2019, and Air Canada says the flight searches to Europe are breaking company records. Axios reported this week that sentiment among global airline leaders is that the current staffing shortages around the world are expected to last into at least 2023. Oh my God. Let me breathe. <laughs> oh, wait, you take a breath. Let me catch my breath, drink some water, you take over.
0: Yeah, so there's more. <laughs> wait, there's more. <laughs> Brussels closed their airport on... Monday. Today is Wednesday. So two days ago, because of a security and ramp workers strike, major international airport shut down for the whole day. And that wasn't it. In Belgium, Brussels Airlines crew and pilots will go on a three-day strike from tomorrow, Doug, Thursday, the 23rd till Saturday, the 25th. This is when load factors are through the roof going into Europe. So that's going to be quite a struggle to uh, work through that. It's not over. Pete Buttigieg is is wants the airlines to do better. Pete, <laughs> we're jumping through hoops to. We've do... been doing it
1: for a year. We We've been, been trying to ramp up for a year. My my yeah. question is, where was this meeting a, a a year ago? Where was this meeting in June of twenty twenty one? As we saw that things were ramping up, he was he was fresh in the seat. He'd been in the seat for four months, five months at that point, yeah. getting his feet under him. That's where you bring the the CEOs in sit down and say, travel's ramping up. How are we going to, to handle this? Are, are you ready to handle it? Is there anything that we can do to help you with it? It shouldn't be this far in. And then essentially yelling at the airline CEO saying you need to do better. And I get it. Mm-hmm. Like there, there is frustration because some airlines over scheduled for the crews that they have, which is why right. Southwest and Delta have canceled hundreds of flights a day moving forward for the rest of the summer. I, I totally get that. But at the same time, you don't think that we're not trying. We are one, like, like you said, you've hired seven people in the last couple of weeks. We are yeah. 100% trying.
0: The airlines are giving the government ideas. They're just not latching on to any of them. Republic is asking the DOT if they can reduce the pilot hours to 750 from, uh, 1500, you know, and they were going to prove that they, the training would be safe. That mm-hmm. it would be excellent. And then there was a bill to, uh, raise the retirement age of us pilots for, uh, 121 car- carriers to 70. So that died. So it's not like the airlines aren't trying to come up with solutions already. If, if he has any better ideas, we're all open to suggestions. Mm-hmm. But I think the other thing, Doug, is we have a peak now because there's so much pent up demand. It'll work itself out. I mean, we're on the cusp of a recession. Hopefully it won't be bad. I think it'll be a shallow recession. Mm-hmm. That's just my guess because I'm positive. You probably are more positive than that. In the fall, the loads go down. I think so. It's it's tough now. We just need to wait it out, and we'll we'll come back to a more manageable level of customers and and flights.
1: Yeah, I, I read today that an analyst, I think it was from Citigroup, said that he thinks that if there is a recession, the airlines will, will be fine, j- just because it's it's not going to be the same as as the short pandemic recession. It's not going to be the same as the financial crisis because airlines have trimmed a lot of the fat that they had coming out of the financial crisis in the late 2000s. And he thinks that the airlines will will be okay.
0: Yeah. And you know, at our airline, we've been insulated a little because we did hire a lot of pilots, including you. But at some other airlines, I think they're holding off on uh, a, a big hiring push, number one, because they can't get pilots, but also because they're looking at three months from now, this probably won't be a problem as much. So they'll just write it out. Yeah. But having said that, if traffic continues to increase, and I think it will, because Asia isn't even back yet, the airlines that have the staffing and the pilots will be better prepared to take advantage of that. Yeah. So we'll see how it plays out. I know it's frustrating for everyone right now, not just passengers. You and I aren't immune to the frustrations at work either, but I think we can all agree that high demand is a good problem to have, especially after the global airline industry was on its deathbed just two short years ago. Let's leave that topic now and head to India for something more positive. The report on this is short and sweet, two paragraphs to be exact, but the discussion might be a lot longer. Air India is is reportedly in talks with Boeing and Airbus to order up to 300 narrow-body planes. On top of that, Doug, they're in talks with Airbus for possibly 50 A350s. Mm -hmm. So now we are really seeing the results of Air India being privatized and being taken over by a very healthy company deep, that deep has pocket. a lot of money. yeah. And, you know, I keep saying this. The most important thing is it's being taken over by a company that has airlines in their blood, you know, that want to do this right. So I'm very hopeful that they will turn Air India into a world-class carrier like it used to be. Mm-hmm.
1: What are your thoughts? Well, my thoughts are, first of all, what does what this show for the domestic Indian market with 300 possible new airplanes? That shows that India, that a lot of the the people within India have that desire to travel now they they have that money that india because india was hit so hard by the pandemic one of the hardest hit countries in the world and now air india is saying we're beyond that we we want 300 basically domestic and indian subcontinent true yeah this is like capable airplanes it's not just gonna yeah. be inner india it, it can be to sri lanka Singapore, it can yeah. be to the stands it can be to to singapore anything in, in the indian subcontinent that's huge to me the biggest thing is that order or the possible order of A 350s because we've talked about that india is the second most populous country in the world doesn't really have much of an international presence because the, the me3 Etihad, qatar and emirates have siphoned a lot of that everywhere in the world to india traffic through doha through dubai and through abu dhabi and mm-hmm. india Drew, again, India, a country of of one point whatever billion people, one point
0: two billion, the
1: second most populous country in the world, has only Air India flying to a handful of routes around the world. They should be a leading global carrier or a leading global market with with organic flights from India. Now they have Vistara. I read that Jet Airways is possibly Coming coming back. There is some movement there, but the fact that Air India the the quote unquote flag carrier of India is looking at 50 wide bodies. That's a huge step in the right direction.
0: Yeah. I really hope that they merge Vistara and air India express into the main carrier so that it's like a Delta or a United or an American in India, a strong, you know, a um, strong global,
1: and- global player
0: yeah strong global player with a domestic route system that feeds their international flights
1: i hope star stays separate though I, I, again a country of 1.2 billion people could easily if if the us can support three global carriers american delta united if canada can support air canada and now westjet has seven if of europe can support multiple how can it how can india not support at least two big global carriers
0: no that's a good point but they won't because um vistara was formed by the tata group and singapore airlines now the tata group owns same, in. yeah
1: same holding company
0: yeah because otherwise they're gonna be competing against each against each against themselves yeah basically We'll keep an eye on that, but that is good to see that uh, traffic is rising all over the world. You know, we'll see what they order. So here we go. We just talked about Boeing not having a product. So they have a choice of a 737 and an A320. Maybe A220, 300s are in the mix.
1: Possibly. Yeah. I, I yeah. could see them ordering maxes because maxes will be available sooner. I could see them getting A321XLRs that so they could run on longer, thinner routes. Yep. And I could possibly see A220s, although... A lot of people have been ordering those and the order book is is long enough that they could wait years possibly for it. Yeah, we'll see. Drew, you started your career at what you call in quotes an express carrier. I tend Uh to call it a- West Air. um, I I tend to call it a regional. Regardless of what we say, what we're talking about is the airlines that feed traffic from generally smaller cities to main hubs, though in some cases are used instead for increased frequency. Think San Fernando LAX on an E-175 every hour. You and I have done that route a couple of times on, on a regional, on an express carrier, or even from DCA to Newark or JFK for that matter.
0: As we've talked about quite a bit over the last year, this model is in jeopardy as pilots are increasingly being poached by major carriers and even by airlines like Spirit and Frontier. This is leading to a growing crisis where these airlines are finding they don't have enough pilots to maintain their schedules we discussed Mesa's push to reduce the federal hour requirement to receive an airline pilot certificate. In the last week, more airlines have made headlines in bids to attract and retain pilots. Stats and data points for you, Doug. Envoy and Piedmont increased first-year pay to match that of first-year first officers at parent company American, a 75% increase over what it had been. Wow, that's amazing. Pay is now 50% higher than Spirit. SkyWest this week created a separate company called SkyWest Charters, and filed an application with the FAA to start operating flights under FAA, FAR Part 135, Charter Operations. Just a quick aside, for the transport airlines, we are Part 121. Mm-hmm. This is Part 135. Scheduled, we'll talk scheduled
1: about service. Scheduled
0: service. So this it falls under a charter. These charters, or par- Part 135 carriers, would allow it to hire pilots with fewer than 1,500 hours and operate planes that seat 30 people or less. Pilots must have at least 500 hours. I already have 10, so I'm working my way towards that real fast. 500 hours
1: in a class one. You, you, you got to double digits.
0: I got to double digits today. Isn't that amazing? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I, rem- I
1: remember when that happened, when, when you go from 9.7 to 10.8, and it's, yeah. it's a big deal. Yeah.
0: No, it's amazing. I mean, when I was a kid, I used to have, uh, my dad got me a savings account, and I had a little book, and I used to love seeing the number go up.
1: Yeah. That's exactly how
0: it is. But look at this. You know, I was talking about me working... For have at least 500 hours, so I'm 490 hours away <laughs> at a Class 1 FAA medical certificate and can continue to fly over the age of 65 if they can keep their medical. Examples of regional airlines operating under Part 135 are Cape Air, who co-shares with JetBlue American and United to offer service to small communities and now defunct great lakes airlines who for many years in the 90s and 2000s operated both independently and as united express before going out of
1: business in 2018 due to a lack of pilots do you want to segue real quickly into our rant or, or real real time listener feedback? yeah i,
0: I you, for the listeners i am not making this up so i'm driving i get home and i have this rant from
1: matt who's been on the matt show has been on two of our we got an episode was called matt rants episode
0: was called matt rants And I'm like telling him, you should. So he's ranting about this SkyWest going to 30 seats. And I wanted to tell him, why don't you just come on the episode? Because this is podcast gold. (laughs) So he starts off, you know, it's a Matt rant. So it's not going to be positive. (laughs) He goes, so SkyWest wants to fly RJs with 30 seats to these places that Great Lakes took out 10 seats in the beach 1900 Ds about 10 years ago. Yeah, good luck. (laughs) And then you said the reason was because they didn't have pilots. Yeah, right?
1: it, it wasn't because of a financial thing. It was because Great Lights, Great Lakes, went out of business because they didn't have the pilots to fly the airplanes. It, it wasn't financially motivated. It was we literally are shutting our doors because we are losing every single <laughs> pilot we have to Spirit, to Frontier, right. to the regionals, the the bigger regionals, better paying, better paying to the envoys of the world who just matched first year first officer paid a major they're losing pilots to those carriers
0: right so that's the reason so i came back and i said i think it's a good idea see i always like to to rile him up (laughs) so when he's on his rant i'll like stir the pot right poke the bear (laughs) yeah (laughs) so i said i think it's a good idea we had like 14 passengers on crj's going to johnstown altoona and Presque isle this is my you know this is my daily life Mm -hmm. until they stop some of these routes lower pilot hours needed because 30 seats makes it part 135 versus 120. Then he goes, well, if there's a pilot shortage, how about not flying to Podunk City at all? Do we really want these cities to lose? We want these cities to have.
1: I'm, I'm offended by that, Matt, because I found out yesterday that my hometown, which we talked about a year ago, losing service okay. of officially is losing service again. Dubuque American is pulling out because they don't have and they didn't say it was a financial thing. They said we don't have the pilots to fly this route anymore.
0: Well, yeah. And, and he's saying, how about not flying to Podunk City? And then I I volleyed back, Doug. <laughs> I said. Man, that's unfortunately that is exactly what is happening. We're we're stopping these services to Podunk City. Ex- excuse the term. I I came from a Podunk City. Yeah. <laughs> unfortunately, that's what's happening. And then he said, "Well, you could fly one person to Hayes, Kansas, and lose money, even with EAS, EAS welfare checks." That's not very realistic because we we were carrying fourteen to twenty people on these fifty seat planes, so it was a sizable amount of people, but not enough the subsidy was not enough to counteract not having pilots mm-hmm. to fly these and then he says okay just saying that this model has failed before unless uncle sam is paying more of these so yeah yeah so he's ranting on and on so this but, is sky west but, trying but, to find a middle ground to be able to operate
1: these routes he and says, i think it's great he says he's failed before but look at denver air connection denver air connection in the last couple of years has come out of nowhere in denver with 30 seat and, and below airplanes that they're flying mm-hmm. to Hayes, Kansas, as Matt says, that's flying to Cheyenne, Wyoming, that's flying to Grand Isle, Nebraska, to all these these places or Grand Isle Island, Nebraska, all these places that are are remote, that are five, six, seven hour drives to Denver, to Kansas City, to you you name the connecting point. These, well, are, yeah. these are remote places that that need that air service. Uh, otherwise we lose that entire I, I was going to say that entire population is like 50,000 people, but, but still, I mean, I, well, I grew up in a city like that.
0: There is, and we should do a deep dive on this on the next episode. There is an airline called JSX, which mm-hmm. is operating Embraer 145s, yeah. and they're flying from Burbank to Las Vegas, Ontario to Phoenix. I don't know how well they do, but it's 30 seat Embraer one forty five. Where did you grow up? I grew up in Concord, California, which JSX had fly, service.
1: JSX flies to Concord.
0: I should fly there. Yeah. I should fly to Concord, California I, to have my mom. Oh, my God. I'm totally going to do that.
1: Drew, I, I we get fares on them. I, I used to have to bring my dog to the vet right right by the Concord <laughs> Airport. Remember, I would tell you yeah. I'm driving to CCR today, and yeah, you would just CCR laugh. <laughs> I, I saw JSX take off multiple times while I was driving to and from the vet past the airport.
0: I wonder where they're going. I don't care. I'll get on that flight I, I think to they're going to
1: Burbank, Ontario.
0: I got to mention something else other than just other than just money. So these communities need that service. So I was I was a kid at Concord Airport. These carriers, they bring in aviation business. They help the airport keep operating and that allows the airport enough money to build another hangar to rent to an FBO. That allows the airport to have emergency fire vehicles. That allows the airport once again to have FBOs where Someone like me can learn to fly. Mm-hmm. So if you take that away, you're you're taking out opportunities for people, not just flying, but to be a fueler, to work ramp. U.S. Air used to fly to Concord when I was a kid, and I thought that was such an awesome thing. And I was when I worked at a little FBO at Concord Airport, I was doing the fueling, I was down the driving the fuel trucks, moving the planes. But the little FBO that I worked for, we also did the cleaning and the lab service for us airways mm-hmm. so it created jobs and the economy wasn't that great but if it was better i would eventually work for us airways yeah. because i would have those connections these are intangible things but you know it brings possibilities for aviation careers to these small communities
1: yeah well something along those lines we, we mentioned american pulling out of dubuque drew dubuque is the eighth or ninth most populous city in iowa it's small in in the grand scheme of things It was the busiest airport in the state of Iowa last year, per Hmm. movements because there are multiple flight schools there. There's a college that has a flight school there. American flying in brings in money for these schools, just like you talked about. Right. Not only that, it brings in the people who are coming to these schools. Now people are going to have to fly into O'Hare or Minneapolis or Madison or Milwaukee and then drive two to three to four hours to get there instead of being able to fly directly nonstop into that city.
0: Yeah, you know, and Matt calls it a welfare check. I I know, you know, at some point, if it's only one person on every flight, that is not feasible. Mm -mm. But I can tell you on some of these flights to um, Altoona, Johnstown, Presque Isle, there were like 25 people on it. You know, that's a good amount of people. But in this climate with no pilots, it's just not even feasible. But with something like this, when we'd be able to get pilots more easily, if they only need 500 hours, I think so. I think um, that would open the floodgates and, you know, it would help these pilots move on to
1: bigger planes. It, exactly. It would help them build the hours that they need and and not have to pay for their hours. They're, they're getting paid for the hours as opposed to having to pay for them, like a lot yeah. of pilots oh, are doing right now.
0: Something else that I just talk, thought about just now. We have a retired captain from our airline who works in my office. He's the flight ops rep. And he also he's retired because he's over sixty-five, because that's the maximum age. Mm-hmm. He is flying for this private jet company, right? Yeah. So something like this would open up continuing careers for them to work another five years. Oh yeah. Still be in the airlines. And they are so needed my, because
1: they are so experienced. My line right? check my line check airman who I flew with on my first trip on the triple retires in January, this coming January. He has already had an interview with one of those charter operators. Oh, my God. Because I asked him him what he's going to do when he retires. He said, I'm not ready to hang it up. I love flying too much. He's already had an interview, and he's going to retire as a major international triple seven captain and move on to fly just for the – he'll make money, but just for the fun of it.
0: This is like the stars are aligning because you're going to have people like him, People like Howard with this wealth of experience, skills, and they're going to be able to work for another five years and they're going to have these kids. They're going to have these young them. people that are going to be coming on and it's going to be such a great dynamic because it'll almost be like they're like this really you know glorified CFI because
1: mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> you're getting into this Embraer 145 with 500
1: hours. You know, you're know experienced, but you're still kind of green. And you have a re- you have retired 777 re- pilot with... with- 30,000 hours. That's awesome. Yeah. Drew, you were surprised that all the passengers on the 777 I flew from Honolulu to Guam had to clear customs. This is understandable because Guam is a U.S. territory, so why would Americans have to see an immigration officer to enter? The reason we looked into this is because Guam's immigration control is run by the local government. Separate from the U.S. Customs and Border Protection, Guam has different entry requirements than the mainland or other territories such as Puerto Rico. For example, there's a special Guam-only visa waiver program that makes citizens from some countries eligible to visit Guam without a visa that would otherwise need it to go to mainland U.S.
0: Yeah, Doug, I'm thinking, so Guam is basically in Asia. Mm -hmm. It's only 1,400 miles from the Philippines. Mm -hmm. So I'm sure they make it easier for people who live in that region that probably have familial connections to people who live in Guam. They get a waiver. I could completely see that because it's almost like a
1: community in the Pacific. Almost feels like a different country, and it's close enough to Japan yeah. and the Philippines. It, it, it actually has a lot of Filipino and Japanese tourists that visit. Very few actual American. Like no no one says I'm going to go vacation in Guam in in the mainland U.S. They they go to Hawaii or they go to the Caribbean. No one goes to Guam for vacation from the U.S. It's all yeah, it's you- all Asian.
0: It's all Asians. And you were even saying there were some uh, Philippine Airlines flights there when you were mm-hmm. at an A three twenty. So that's almost it's a regional route. Yeah. A three twenty one. Before we move on, we must remind everyone that people from Guam <laughs> are known as Guamanian. So I apologize. They're not Guamish as I was saying. <laughs> they're not they're not Guaman. Or like our buddy Mike thought, he said, Oh, I asked him what what are they Guamish Guaman just as a joke. And he says, Is it Guamaganders? <laughs> <laughs> he's from the Midwest, so he's probably Michigander. thinking Michiganders. Yeah. <laughs> Where does that? that come from? This guy also thought, <laughs> he's going to kill me. He, al- he also thought that people going to Lagos were Laotian.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, here's a geographical lesson for us. Indigenous Guamanians are known as Chamorro. Hmm. So if you are born, if you are culturally from that area, you are Chamorro. Okay. Now that that's squared away, Doug, your explanation about the Guamanian immigration makes a little more sense now, but it's still weird. Another weird immigration setup is pre-cleared cities. Did you know that you can clear U.S. customs in Dublin so that when you arrive in the U.S., you can walk off the plane and go to your connection like it's a domestic arrival? You can also do this from Shannon, Ireland, from Aruba, from the Bahamas. You can do it from Bermuda. Or you could do it from uh, arriving from Abu Dhabi in the United Arab Emirates. And then Canada, you can do it from all of their major, major cities, Calgary, Toronto, Edmonton, Halifax, Montreal, Ottawa, Vancouver, Victoria, and Winnipeg.
1: Yeah, we may soon be able to clear U.S. customs at Amsterdam, Brussels, and Bogota, Colombia if negotiations are successful. Why does the CBP set up these facilities and what's in it for them and the foreign airports? For the CBP, it adds a layer of security to be able to clear a passenger before they even get on a flight to the U.S. During COVID-19 and testing requirements, tests could be verified prior to boarding, thus adding a safety layer to prevent possibly infected passengers from boarding. Foreign airports cover part of the cost of setting up the facility. It also leads to fewer crowds at CBP in the U.S. as these customers are pre-cleared. For foreign airports, it helps bring in more business by making onward connections at the U.S. hubs more efficient. The pre-clearance program helped drive a 75% increase in Dublin Airport's U.S.-bound travel volume between 2014 and 2018. It also allows flights to U.S. cities with limited or no CBP facilities. An article in a FAR magazine noted, The original goal of the program was to be pre-clearing upwards of one-third of international arrivals. The pre-clearance program dates back to 1952 when it was instituted at Toronto Pearson International Airport. I didn't realize it's that old. There are, now 16, yeah, okay. there are now 16 preclearance locations in six countries. In 2019, the CBP pre-cleared 22 22 million travelers, or more than 16% of all commercial passengers flying to the U.S. Drew, tell us how it, how it works in the real world, and is it helpful at your hub? I can see how yeah. it would be because you've talked about airplanes coming in from places, and they end up getting a gate that's not an international gate
0: yeah and you know we mentioned these cities at my airport and my airline flies from most of these from a bunch of these cities in canada from uh dublin from aruba from the bahamas du- it is a breeze mm-hmm. <laughs> normally you want to leave about two hours if you're making an international connection if you're coming into the u.s especially now with these crazy lines Wait-times. of customs yeah yeah but our customers coming in from dublin they get off a triple seven from dublin walk off and their connection is across the hall.
1: They're in the, they're in they're the terminal as if they were coming in from Cleveland.
0: Yeah. Now there's one um condition though. So their bags even though they've been cleared by customs in Ireland, if they're connecting, they still have to go through TSA at at in Washington D.C.
1: Oh really? They have to go pick up yeah. their bag and then check it?
0: No. No, they don't have to. They don't have to pick up their bag cuz it's already been cleared through customs. Okay. But we take it to TSA. Oh, the
1: bag, not not the passenger. I get it. Okay.
0: Yeah. This is, uh, you know, the ramp can't stand it because they ended up taking additional. delays. Because, yeah. Yeah. So if it's a tight connection, if it's half an hour, they're still going to make it. But to take these bags to FIS to get them cleared, it can take 45 minutes. But no, it's great. I wish more flights would do this. So flight from uh, Aruba pre-cleared. So it's a breeze. Sometimes we'll have diversions that can't make it to Newark. We were just talking about Newark and the traffic. Whenever I hear, oh, it's from NASA, I'm like, oh, we're like, Good. great. yeah." Because we can, those customers can come off and we can offer them egress. If the flight was coming from uh, St. Martin, for example, you couldn't do that because mm-hmm. that's international. People just have to stay on board. And if we decide to take them off, we have to clear them and their bags through customs, which is a two-hour process. Yeah, It works great. And I I hope more cities do it because... The bottleneck is in the hubs. These are coming from outlying cities where people check in two hours prior and they have time to do these US entry formalities with CBP and customs so that once they get here, they're free to go. And you can tell like CBP is all about it because these foreign airports are paying, Mm -hmm. (laughs) they're they're subsidizing US citizens to go over there, to live there and be CBP, agents, which is pretty cool. Yeah.
1: Imagine that getting paid to go live in in Ireland.
0: Ireland. <laughs> yeah, how cool is that. So hopefully we have more of that. It looks like they're really we talked about Amsterdam, Brussels, and Bogota. So look for that to happen soon. That'll make my life easier because that means my Amsterdam flight and my Brussels flight, which are huge, which are usually triple sevens that are packed to the gills. You know, and they're down there in customs, they all come in together. If they are pre cleared, that's gonna make everyone's life so much better. Absolutely our work for this last segment is done by one of our
1: listeners. We don't have to do anything.
0: We really don't have to do anything. And to be honest, reading this, he lays it all out. We may have some some uh, peanut gallery editorial <laughs> to add to it, but it's really good. This is from Dominic in uh, Denmark. And Dominic, I apologize. He sent this uh, a while ago, but neither of us had time to respond. Yeah. And I wanted to, but it's so detailed, I couldn't respond. With hey, great after a five paragraph <laughs> description, Doug, we received this great message from. Uh, Danish listener, Dominic, after we talked about Norwegian a few weeks ago. We waited to cover this until an episode where we could really get into it and not worry about time because it's all excellent information, but
1: now we do have to worry I wrote about time. that. I wrote that <laughs> when I thought it was going to go, it was going to be a short episode. We're at yeah. like 55 minutes right now. We'll, we'll we'll try and do this very quickly. We'll do it very quickly. But not, as you said, not much that we actually have to talk about. We're just going to read yeah. the email in its entirety because right. it's all great information. Dominic said... Hello Doug and Drew, I'm Dominic from Copenhagen, huge fan here since episode one. Since you talked about Norwegian in the last episode and Scandinavian listeners, I thought I would reach out to you and tell you a bit about how I saw the rise and downfall of Norwegian airlines from the first row. I came from Slovakia, but have lived in Denmark for the last 10 years. Norwegian is the airline I flew most between Scandinavia and Central Europe, and it quickly became my most most flown airline ever. Norwegian had established itself by the mid-2010s as a very competitive alternative to SAS and Scandinavia as the best low-cost carrier in Europe. When it comes to ticket price and service Norwegian provided, they managed to find a sweet spot between being the big flag carriers and the LCCs. Sounds almost like Southwest to me.
0: It does. And, you know, he's saying the service was good, which makes it even seem more Southwest. It's low fare and it's uh, it's, um, one class of service, but it sounds like it's consistent and good quality, Mm -hmm. right? Yeah. So then he goes, so this part is called the good times. They flew to uh, the big airports, unlike other LCCs, solid network in Scandinavia and Europe, comfortable 737-800NG sky interiors. They were the first to offer internet on board, although their internet was quite a bit bad, to be honest. They even got me with their loyalty program, where you collect cash points that you can use very easily right away for your next flight. The first and only loyalty program I love because it is simple and understandable, unlike some weird award miles and sky miles and all that nonsense.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Editorial real quickly. My dad has a client who said that he flew Norwegian in premium economy when they used to have the 787 to and from the U S before other airlines had premium economy. And he said it was so cheap. It was like $600 round trip to fly in quote unquote domestic first class. That was before other airlines had premium economy. He didn't want to yeah. pay for the, the business class fare, but didn't want to be in the back. And it was a sweet spot and it was good. And people like that. Wait, this was your dad flew? this? No, my, my dad, one, one of my dad's clients talked about oh, okay. flying Norwegian to and from Europe. And that was his go-to airline. Because the And he, he said it was good? Because the, the premium economy product was that good. Oh, wow, that's great. Yeah. All right, this next one is titled The Global Chaos. Dominic said, it all started to look fishy when they started their long-haul operations, as I just talked about. First, it seemed that they knew what they were doing by providing fair price flights to the U.S., so I was rooting for them. Suddenly, by 2017, they are operating bases and flying to the U.S. from London, Rome, Barcelona, Madrid, and Paris. Suddenly, they're flying to Singapore, but then suddenly they stop. They're flying to Buenos Aires, and then it all feels very fast, and I have a hard time keeping up with the news. Meanwhile, back in good old Copenhagen, I'm noticing that for different flights with the same airline, there are different airline codes on the flight number. The company is being split into subsidiaries. These are Norwegian Air UK, Norwegian Air International. Norwegian, Sweden, etc., and many more.
0: Then he says, this, uh, this usually is not a good sign. Then you hear of them letting some employees go,
1: but also staff
0: shortages at other bases. Suddenly it all seems much less organized and more chaotic. By 2019, I was thinking twice before I booked Norwegian. You know why? Because while Norwegian is now operating domestic routes in Argentina, <laughs> Buenos Aires to Cordoba, for example, which is mind-blowing in itself, for their European flights, they started to wet-lease some weird airlines probably called Weirdo Airlines. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. <laughs> That's like our like fly-by-night, you know, yeah. Weirdo Airlines, <laughs> with 737-400s that were so old, probably Lindbergh was flying the inaugural flight. This guy's great.
1: <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Dominic, keep it coming.
0: Yeah. This, for me, is a complete no-go. The only reason I am choosing Norwegian over Ryanair or EasyJet is to get the Norwegian experience, and it was not even properly indicated on what aircraft I end up, when I fly on them.
1: I haven't flown them since, and it might seem like I'm bitter, but I'm actually rooting for them. Just stay in your lane, grow strong at home, get going again with the solid network in Scandinavia and Europe, which it seems they're now doing, and stop with the long-haul nonsense. There's a new airline, Norse Atlantic Airways, starting operations from Norway to the U.S. next week with what seems to be a very similar long-haul business model. I just wonder how long before it flies domestic in Tajikistan.
0: <laughs> Tajikistan, yeah, I love that. Doug, I, you know I have a beef with these airlines that try, so they're a major airline, right? And Norwegian used to be great. They used to have a, a consistent product. Then they stretch themselves too thin. They want to have a regional carrier in Argentina. They want to have you know, a, a regional carrier in uh, Europe. And, and then it diminishes their product. Like a good example is Scoot. Does anyone is that doing well? I mean, it just seems like the main brand Singapore is is should be focusing on their main brand versus trying to compete with a Asia Air X. And it never seems to work yeah. out.
1: IAG is doing it with level, and it seems to be working okay. I know Air France, okay. Air France shut down. What was it? June, I think was the name of it. June, June. yeah. So yeah, that, did, no, that June, didn't work A-O-M. out.
0: Yeah. That didn't work out, and Level. To be honest with you, I mean, where I saw a Level plane, a Level A three hundred and thirty, but it was doing a wet lease, or it was it was flying in place of one of their other network mm-hmm. carriers. I think it was Brussels yeah. Airlines. I, I don't well, no, that would be uh, Lufthansa. I, I saw
1: Level in San Francisco a couple months ago.
0: Yeah, it may have been flying a flight for uh, Iberia. Yeah. Maybe.
1: Lufthansa does it with yeah. with Eurowings too. So
0: let's go through the list. Ted United had a subsidiary called Ted.
1: Shutdown. not around song, Delta, Con- continental song, light, John. US air, Metro jet. Kind of
0: yeah. <laughs> I mean, the list goes on and on and on, you know, just focus on your core product and offer an, a quality economy product. You don't have to be the same as the, the bargain basement. Although air airlines. Canada, air Canada
1: rouge seems to be doing well. Find a Punta Cana and Barbados and leisure destinations. I don't know.
0: Yeah, I mean, we'll see how long they last. Condor, but Condor was Lufthansa's vacation subsidiary. That's now owned by Thomas Cook, so it didn't work for mm-hmm. Lufthansa. So we can count Condor in that yeah. category, too. I completely agree with uh, with Dominic here. You know, here's a new carrier that had a good product, and they messed yeah. it up. <laughs> and now they're no longer really a big player. We'll see how Norse Atlantic does, because it it kind of is the reincarnation of Norwegian with a different paint job and probably most of the same employees. It's
1: the same airplanes. I think that Norris got the 7 from Norwegian and it was the founder of Norwegian mm-hmm. who got kicked out when Norwegian wasn't doing well who founded Norris. <laughs> but mm-hmm. thank you, Dominic, for, for that great email. Your commentary throughout it was awesome. Listeners, this is the kind of stuff that we're looking for. This is great. And we'll take five minutes when we're going along just to read this because it's excellent. Speaking of the listeners, this podcast is your show, so go on our website, nexttripnetwork.com. Let us know what's on your mind so we can talk about it or give us your feedback. You can follow us on Twitter or Instagram at podcast. Please tell your friends about us so we can reach more people who love aviation and travel.
0: Thanks to all of our listeners for suffering through our 777 trips and our Piper patterns. And our 222 (laughs) go-arounds. Yeah. But I will say thank you, listeners, for that last episode, Doug. With the, I Doug had this completely like boring title for it, and it was Piper patterns and triple travels or whatever. (laughs) I'm like, no. So I changed that, and I just put Doug flies the triple seven. So it was one of our most popular episodes so you, you're trending <laughs> with your <777. laughs> yeah i mean we'll we'll talk about our our flying a little bit but uh we know that you want us to talk about a bunch of other things too so thanks to all of our listeners for your support and for joining the conversation we'll see you next week and in the meantime stay aviation tough this has been the next trip podcast visit nexttripnetwork.com for information about previous episodes trip reviews aviation photos and other aviation related content This is your show, so search for The Next Trip on Twitter and let Doug and Drew know what you want to talk about. Not on Twitter? You can also email them at nexttrip.podcast at gmail.com. Please consider leaving a review wherever you download your podcasts. It will help other listeners like you discover this show.